content and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We do have a special introductory offer for these three newsletters. First time, one time only. Call 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. That's uh, Claudio Bossi, my assistant. We'll be glad to take your call. Or you can go directly to our website at miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. We, uh, are, are the best website actually to go to to follow all of the things that I'm doing, the things that... Uh, uh, that my partners are doing, uh, is to go to jtaylormedia.com. That's uh, without the triple W's. That's jaytaylormedia.com. You can access this. You can access this radio show from that site. You can access all three newsletters. Uh, and you can also pick up uh, video interviews that I'm doing with the uh, CEOs of, of various companies um, and also uh, my many appearances on CNBC, Fox, and BNN are also uh, there if you care to look at those. Uh, I do want to thank our sponsors again for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for the first hour of this three-hour show today. This is the first time we are doing a three-hour format, but for the first hour, the sponsors are Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, North Atlantic Resources, Cobra Resources, Brigus Gold, and Palangio Exploration. Uh, would also like to uh, mention that this is our 96th consecutive week on this show, and we are now starting a three-hour show today. Uh, we're starting it at a very day that I've got a horrible cold. I hope you, I hope I can get through this, and I'm sure I will uh, with your tolerance and with my excellent guests coming on. I'll let them do all the talking. That would be a better deal for you anyway, I'm sure. Uh, in any event, also want to thank each of you for listening to this show. You have made it the number one show on the Voice America business channel. We're very proud of that. We work really hard to get exciting guests here uh, to make it worth your while to download this. Most of you download this on your pod as a podcast and listen to it in your free time when you're driving around in your car or taking a walk or whatever. Anyway, we are now going to a three-hour format. Um, why are we expanding our show to three hours? Uh, isn't two hours enough, Mr. Taylor? Some people have asked me. And I have to say, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a bit. But actually, it's not enough because there seems to be so many great people to talk to, so many interesting things to uh, pass along to you, and so many good companies that we think also are worth you listening to 
especially in the gold mining sector, because as I've been saying, I believe that we are in a bull market of a lifetime for gold mining shares. There are things that we will be talking about later in this show, uh, issues that we talk about on a regular basis on this show that really underscore the reason why that is true, why gold mining and gold and silver mining are really two industries, I think, that are, well, not only do I think, they're showing it now with their earnings that are growing very dramatically, and the economics for mining those metals from the earth are improving very dramatically. So I'm not even sure that three hours will be enough, but at least this is going to give us a 50% more uh, time to talk to you and bring you uh, excellent ideas. Uh, we will bring you insights into what the establishment is doing to worsen the plight of the average people and to enrich themselves. That's a theme that's constant on this show. How you can take that knowledge then, though, and turn it into some positive things for you and your family in terms of protecting and hopefully gaining wealth, as well as understanding the political risks that may lie ahead that could threaten the pursuit of life, liberty, uh, and the pursuit of happiness, which was supposed to be, of course, what the Revolutionary War back in 1776 was all about. The notion that the, uh, the best government is the least government was what our founders believed. Unlike our manipulated uh, mindset population today, early Americans did not trust their government, and they believed to the extent we needed government at all, its duties were simply to serve, uh, the, to serve the people, not the other way around. And, and basically, they were just to, uh, to provide protection from outside intruders, essentially. We're certainly not to be a welfare state, certainly not to take care of all of our needs. That was left up to the individuals, to the families, uh, and, and to people's own resolve. And certainly, uh, when you bring in government into the equation, when you have government taking care of you, then there's going to be a great price for that. And then one of those great prices that we're facing, one of the great losses that I think most Americans are not yet cognizant of, uh, is the loss of in individual liberty. Uh, and that does require individual responsibility. So we want government to take care of us. Guess what? We're going to tell us where we can go, how we can spend our money, and wh what we can do, and even what we can think, I'm afraid. Um, so you can't, get a, you can't get something for nothing. Uh, they're going to take taxes from us, more taxes. They're going to increase regulation to limit your freedom. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So, uh, but now, you know, we, we, we have traveled very far down that road. We had uh, Lieutenant General Boykin on our show a, a few weeks back talking about how we had essentially fallen into a communist a police state. Or we, most, of the, most of the items that are required uh, for that to happen are in place. Uh, and then, of course, we've talked to Adrian Salbucci on this show, Daniel Estlin also, and they both have pointed out that we're talking about isn't even a national police state, but really something much bigger, uh, more like an international uh, one-world government police state that is uh, being uh, forged ahead, it seemingly, uh, against our individual liberties and wills. And, and most people are willing to say, well, yeah, I mean, if that makes us safe, we need to have a clean environment. Uh, yeah, let's have one government and make sure that everybody... Uh, does what they're supposed to do to make sure the environment is clean, letting aside, of course, there's even the issue of uh, the environment, I believe, that uh, is not allowed to be examined with an open mind, that there is a political correctness with respect to that issue as well. And so we are all sort of brainwashed into thinking uh, what the major media is telling us uh, is correct. And uh, we had Daniel uh, um, Orloff with us some time ago who said, and I still believe that he is, that he is right, that our propaganda machine uh, is so much superior to anything that the Soviet Union had because people actually believe what they see on CNBC, uh, NBC, ABC, all the, all the major media. 
people basically tend to believe what they see without questioning it. Very dangerous, I think, for our freedoms and our future. Uh, this is, I think, though, what's going on is a huge middle-class ripoff. It is a reallocation of wealth from those that create it, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, the people that are actually doing things for people to make their lives better are not doing that well these days. The people who are doing very well, government is doing quite well, it secure, has secure jobs, and the banking industry, and then of course top corporate executives of the largest corporations are all doing very well, but especially the banking industry. And um, Ed Griffin, I think, uh, laid the groundwork for this show. We had Ed on on March 24th, 2009, our very first show. The reason I had Ed Griffin as my guest was because I felt that his book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, did more than any other book I've ever read to explain why we are where we are, why the politics are the way they are, why the banks are being protected, why you are being asked to bail out rich bankers, uh, that the banks, in fact, that the Federal Reserve was created uh, and the creature from Jekyll Island explains who created the Federal Reserve and for what purposes why the Federal Reserve was created was essentially to uh, privatize, to allow banks to privatize profits, knowing full well they could take huge amounts of risk and then when they go belly up, you, the taxpayer, would be asked to bail them out. That's exactly what went on. And it's been going on for decades in my view and I could talk more about that at length in the uh, uh, sometime in the future. Uh, going back to Mexico, I saw it when I was actually working at ING Bearings at the time, and I realized uh, that there were a, a couple of large banks that were making extremely risky loans into Mexico, knowing that they would be bailed out if they went belly up. So why not? And that's what was going on. Well, in any event, we're going to have Ed Griffin. We're going to replay Ed Griffin's uh, March 24th interview that I did with Ed. It's about a half an hour interview with a, with a break. In, well, actually, it's closer. Yeah, it's, it's about a half an hour. Ed will be with us in the last hour of today's three-hour show. Um, and we're also going to be talking uh, during the, towards the end of the show after uh, the recorded uh, um, discussion with Ed Griffin that we did back in March of 2009. Dr. Robert McHugh is going to be with us. Dr. McHugh is a technical analyst. We're going to get his take on where he thinks the markets are going. You know, Dr. McHugh had been suggesting for some time that we were heading into the next cataclysmic wave C down. He believed that we were going to, to fall very, very quickly. And of course, the equity market has been on a, on a cyclical bull market rise here. We're going to talk to Dr. McHugh and ask him where he went wrong, what his thoughts are now. Roger uh, Wiegand will be joining us at, uh, at 4.30 uh, Eastern time along with, with, um, uh, with Robert McHugh. Uh, in a little while, we're going to have Robert Blumen. He is an exceptionally well-versed Austrian economic theorist. Uh, he's going to be here to talk about the gold markets and why you shouldn't pay too much attention to all this talk about increased supply coming from the gold mines. It really has very little to do with the price of gold. And uh, so don't, don't let the major media fool you into thinking that somehow gold prices are going down because we have an increase in the mining uh, supply. Robert Blumen will be with us to tell us about that. And after Robert, we got Dr. John Mark Stoudy, a good friend of mine who is the president and CEO of Riverside Resources. It's an excellent little exploration, gold exploration company that I think uh, has the potential to, to rise very, very dramatically in price in the near term. Uh, and I think John Mark Stoudy will explain why that could be the case. And uh, following John Mark, then we're going to also talk uh, to the CEO of Athabasca Uranium. Uh, uranium is on a tear now. The uranium prices are starting to rise very dramatically. And finally, our main guest today in today's show 
will be Klaus Vogt. Uh, he is the author of an excellent book titled The Global Death Trap. Klaus uh, will help try to help us understand the consequences of this debt, debt, this debt trap and where uh, what may happen as well, the consequences of that debt trap and how you uh, can protect yourself against, uh, against those consequences and, and not only protect yourself but hopefully to actually increase your wealth and, and well-being and the security of your family. Well, that's, uh, that's about all. We're going to have to take a station break, uh, actually a commercial break here, and when you come back uh, in about 30 seconds, uh, we're going to be uh, signing, uh, coming back at you in a, in a couple of minutes, I should say, with Chen Lin. Chen's going to talk to us a little bit about where he sees the market right now. What about the short term for gold and silver? What about the short term for some other things that Chen likes a lot, like paper stocks and uh, oil and gas? We'll be right back with Chen Lin. Don't go away. Experts here. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. For further information, Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Box mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Box, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love ride. I'll be sliding down. I'll be gliding down. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the letter J, Taylor, at miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I uh, am always happy to have my partner, Chen Lin, with me. He is a business partner of mine. Uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, provides back office support for Chen's excellent money-making newsletter. Chen has been able to parlay an initial investment of $4,300 back in January of 2003 to $1.5 million by December 31st of 2010. And that was with his wife's IRA, which Chen provides documentation to me for uh, with every at the end of every month. So I want you to know that I'm not blowing smoke here, folks. This is really real. Uh, it's documented. Chen has done a, a remarkable uh, job of of taking $4,300 and turning it into $1.5 million. He does it with a lot of hard work. He does it with a lot of honest effort. He works. Uh, he's also very smart, and he's able to find. Um, let's say, inefficiencies in the marketplace where there are uh, things that don't, uh, that don't make sense. The market doesn't recognize. You know, there's this notion of an efficient market. I don't buy it. I certainly don't buy it on the small, smaller companies because there's information out there that is not widely distributed. People don't know about it, don't care about it. So Chen finds opportunities to make money. Uh, in fact, he's done even better than that with his own accounts where he's leveraged up, but he uses what he calls a conservative account, took it from 4300 to $1.5 million. I'm not sure how he's done on his own, some of his more aggressive accounts, but I understand he's done even better than that. So it really is a pleasure to have you again, Chen. Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. Uh, I just want to make a, a small correction. It's not 4300 it's $5,400. Oh, my our- goodness. Well, you know, I'll have to correct that. I, uh, I guess I was blowing a little smoke there then, but really $5,400 um, into $1.5 million. I, my mm-hmm. goodness, uh, that's gonna, you're going to take quite a whack on your return there, aren't you? <laughs> well, so far, <laughs> <kidding>. so good. <laughs> All right, Chen, uh, let, let's get into, uh, we're early into 2011. Um, what are your thoughts uh, where we're going now? The, 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 we have this debt situation around the world, a global debt situation uh, China is now uh, raising interest rates. Um, how, how is this looking to you? What's going to happen? What are your thoughts now? Uh, have you changed your view uh, of the world since we last talked to you a week or two ago? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I'm pretty much see. you know, right now there's a very strong rising inflation in China. Okay, so um, I've been talking to some economics um, and uh, some fund managers yesterday. Um, so it seems the government already gave up the, you know, the, to keep the inflation low. They already accept the fact there will be some pretty high inflation for China for the foreseeable future. Uh, mm-hmm. They are just trying to make it, you know, not run away inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, but is this is, what is this doing to the markets now? Is it really hurting uh, some of the commodity plays? Um, no, no, well, no, actually, for a lot of Chinese, they see their value, you know, their paper money uh, depreciate every day. So they got worried. So I see uh, there's uh, a lot of people who are, you know, buying gold and silver, 
in a pretty large quantity in China, especially ahead of Chinese New Year, which is uh, early February. So I see, you know, gold and silver could and should have a bounce here ahead of Chinese New Year, just based on Chinese demand. Okay, so, but your your thoughts now is, uh, I think you, you put out a missive earlier today to your paid subscribers that, in fact, uh, you are really looking at... Um, you're really looking at a pullback here in gold and silver in the short term, and then, but there's some other things you like a lot. Is that right? I basically I'm not uh, have a very strong feeling of uh, you know gold will rally, uh, especially first half of the year. Usually after Chinese New Year, uh, gold reaches a seasonal high. Okay, uh, like it could drift lower until summer. Okay, until the end of summer, uh, September usually the strong months of gold, and gold start rally again at the end of the year. So uh, it looks to me it's like gold is getting close to the seasonal strong months, to the end of seasonal strong months. So I'm not very uh, strong feeling, you know, bullish in gold in the near term. Okay, so uh, but you're not certainly not selling out of gold stocks longer term. You're very very bullish on gold and silver stocks, right? That's correct. So I see a seasonal uh, trend, which is moving to energy as well as the pop, paper pop stocks. Uh, so as I outlook, I, I, I wrote that in December. Uh, I, I see this uh, 2011, especially the first half, could be a very good uh, first half, first, first six months for energy and pop stocks. So I have been aggressively investing in those stocks. Uh, energy and pulp. Uh, give us, tell our listeners, those that may not have uh, heard the pulp story before, the paper pulp story. Chan, talk to us a little bit about the supply and demand, the economic conditions that make you so bullish on uh, on the paper pulp stocks. Yeah, pulp is a unique play. Uh, so what it does is uh, um, it's uh, it's play against the backdrop of 2008. Okay, paper pulp, you, you know, it's used. Just like every day, people use like a uh, bathroom, you know, tissues, use napkins. People use everywhere, you know, diapers, you know, for mm-hmm. my for my kids. So so on and so forth. Uh, in the developing, developed world, people use it as given. You know, it's just a constant demand on those. But in developing world, like in China, it's growing very rapidly because people move in from countryside to city. Um, people use much more paper. Mm-hmm. There's a research done that once people move from countryside to, to the city, uh, the paper consumption increased by tenfold. It's not 10%, mm. tenfold. Wow. So China uh, paper demand has been steadily increased about 10% a year. You know, sometimes the low end is 8% a year, you know, 8 to 10 in the past decade, two decades actually. So right now it's the largest paper consum- consumer in the world. And then, on that top of that, uh, it's continue growing every year. Okay, in the Western world, United States, Europe is quite stable, but China, the largest consumer, is increasing. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, 2008, the, the financial crisis hit this uh, industry very hard. So there's uh, no new uh, production coming online because if you want to build a pop mill, you need at least uh, two, three billion dollars and mm. three years of funding. Okay, to build. So nobody building new pop mills. So I see this as an investment opportunity uh, for investors 
we can buy those uh, beaten down paper pop stock at way below replacement value and a very, very low uh, price to earning, price to cash flow at all the metrics. So I started to buy it uh, last year, right after Chile earthquake. Actually, Chile earthquake also have a pretty big impact to the pop industry because a lot of pop mill in Chile was, was hit very hard. So, so I'm just riding that wave to now almost a year. Uh, all this pop stock has been you know, performing phenomenally. Uh, the best performer, I think, is Tim Back uh, at TMB at, um, at at the Toronto Stock Exchange. When I bought it, it was a dollar thirty. Now it's four dollars thirty. So after mm-hmm. you know many months, so and and it's continue growing, uh, growing, and more and more people recognize its value. Chen, are some of these paying dividends? Some of these pop stocks? Yeah, there is one uh, pop stock. Uh, is a it's come for pop stock uh, used to be a trust, now convert to a, um, a corporation. They pay uh, close to 10% dividend, 9 to mm. 10%. So, so I, ho- I, own, I, own that, uh, I own that stock as well. Do you see that as a pretty safe dividend for a while? Relatively safe. See, right now is um, uh, the pop demand, people, it still has a low season. You know, uh, usually it pick up in the spring and summer. So right now, because of Christmas, all these uh, years, all the paper mill are in, uh, you know, in the service. You know, so demand is low. So when the demand starts picking up, uh, the price could go even higher. So that that that's the thing. And it's those those are paper and pop uh, stock are very very leveraged. To those the price are very sensitive to the price. And Chen, you were also uh, turning pretty bullish on uh, on some energy stocks as well. You're pointing out that at ninety dollar oil. There's a lot of what were previously marginal oil and gas producers are starting to come into play again. You're, you're, you've turned quite bullish on oil and gas at the moment. Yes, yes, um, I am. Uh, so the uh, it, it's basically it just it, it's a um, uh, what it does is uh, when that's forty, fifty dollars the oil, a lot of uh, energy companies just uh, break even, not making much money. And right now, at $90 oil, those companies are making a lot of money. They, they, they're not making a lot of They're making tons of money. Okay, so, so uh, they, they're the, the price to earning and all this leverage, just incredible. So, uh, just, and then so <coughs> I have the, uh, all the energy companies start to break out uh, very, very strongly in the past few weeks. You know, some of my energy stock double. Okay, for, for example, SSN. That energy stock, and I, sound, I own that for a pretty long time. It suddenly started to break out about uh, three weeks ago uh, when it was trading almost a dollar. Now today trading at $2.30. So just in three weeks, today up 20%. So uh, th- th- those are the just one example. There are many, many. I have uh, received uh, email from my subscriber said, well, why, why this stock you own went up so much in the past few weeks? Uh, I think it's just because people suddenly realize, you know, using $90, wow, their earning power is so so big. So they're rushing into the energy, energy stocks. Okay, Chen. Well, that's un- unfortunately, it's about all the time we, we have. Uh, we're going to have to go to, to a commercial break here. I did want to ask you about PIMCO's Bill Gross made some statement. We'd like, just, a, just a few seconds. Tell us what did Gross have to say about the bond market and the U.S. Uh, solvency. Hello? Oh, Chen, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, uh, real quickly, could you just tell us, uh, Bill Gross made some statements about the U.S. debt, 
and the U.S. Uh, the solvency of the United States uh, currency. Could you just comment on that very briefly? Yes. Uh, the problem is in a couple of years. Okay, um, if the bond market, you know, the, the interest rate goes up, United States will face the same problem as a peak nation, as a Spain, as Greece and Ireland. Uh, the problem is the United States will not be able to refinance its own debt. That's a very serious problem. And yeah. I, I see it's coming because uh, we're blowing away a trillion dollar a year now. Yeah, okay. So uh, so this is really why, Chen, longer term, you're extremely bullish on, uh, on gold and silver and on commodities in general, I believe, if I'm not wrong. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so you're really, um, I mean, the, the notion that Bill Gross, a person of Bill Gross's stature, certainly an establishment guy, if ever there is one, is comparing us with the pig countries, I think that's it's extremely uh, newsworthy. Um, you know, why, and, and how do you suppose Bill Gross is adjusting his portfolio? He's, he's been doing yeah, uh, I mean, something. He's, he's a very quite bearish on bond, so actually he's, and in the meantime, he's doing some kind of uh, arbitrage in the bond market. So I, I, I do not know what he's, exactly what he's doing, but in his report, he was quite concerned of the bond future, the bond future of U.S. government debt. No, and rightfully so, and I think all of us should be very, very concerned about the future of our government and its debt and the world monetary system. And obviously, a lot of people are in the know. They are very interested. They are very concerned. The vast majority of people haven't a clue, but the people that listen to this show have a clue. And coming up next, we're going to have Robert Blumen with us. We'll have even more of a clue, those of you who may think that mine supply has a big deal uh, to do with, uh, with the price of gold. Robert Blumen's going to say... Don't pay too much attention to the gold mine supply and all this talk about how gold prices are going down because gold, gold, new gold mining companies are springing up. Anyway, we'll be right back with Robert Blumen after the commercial break. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Western Pacific is a gold exploration company focused on finding major world-class deposits in the western United States. Western's ace in the hole, a project called Mineral Gulch, lies along trend with the Carlin-style Long Canyon deposit, recently acquired by Frontier Development. Catalyst going forward will be from drill results. One drill campaign is underway at the South Lita Project in Nevada, with permitting underway to drill 33 holes at Mineral Gulch. Western Pacific trades on the Venture Exchange under the ticker WRP. 
Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to Taylor at miningstocks.com. That's the letter J, Taylor, at miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me my friend, Robert Blumen. Robert is a software developer who writes and uh, blogs frequently for the Ludwig von Mises Institute, their website. Uh, his articles have appeared uh, in lewrockwell.com. Uh, economic Affairs, Mark Faber's Gloom, Doom, and Boom Report. We've had Mark, of course, on the show on a couple of uh, cases, a couple of times in the past. Uh, he also writes for the Agora Publications Daily Emails and uh, and, he, and, he, uh, and various other financial Jay, and gold hear sites on, on the net. Hello, Robert, are you there? Robert, are you there? I guess we're missing Robert. Not responding. Okay, well, anyway, Robert, um, not sure what happened. We seem to have lost Robert. Robert uh, has, uh, has uh, certainly has as much knowledge as anybody I know uh, about Austrian economics. And, and for those of you who may not be familiar with Austrian economics, um, we, um, w- w- this show is basically uh, is, is founded on, to a great extent at least, uh, on Austrian economic ideas, the theories of free markets, not the markets, the kind of markets that we're given. Uh, you know, people have this, uh, this belief that somehow the United States is a capitalist society, a free market capitalist society. I would, uh, I, I would uh, like to say that I think nothing could be further from the truth. Um, we're, uh, I'm going to have to find something else to do or talk about uh, since we don't seem to have Robert with us right now. Uh, so let me just, maybe we'll get him back in a few minutes. 
let me just see if I can pick up on a couple of other ideas. One of the things that I think uh, we are constantly getting in this, uh, uh, in our mainstream press, and I like to talk a lot about the the media and the establishment. Uh, the establishment media really uh, has their own ideas about. Uh, basically, they're, they're Keynesian economic ideas, uh, counter to, to the Austrian ideas that we were going to talk to Robert about. Uh, but more than that, I think that uh, what we're getting a lot of times are, are a pack of lies from our government. We are told, uh, you know, they, they count things differently. They count inflation differently. They decide uh, that, uh, you know, if inflation is too high, they're going to redefine what inflation is. Um, and hello. so, uh, uh, yeah, hello. Hello. Okay, Robert, you're back? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry about that. We must have had a technical problem here. Uh, good to have you with us. I was just uh, going to go on to another topic since you uh, since you weren't there, but anyway, you're you're here, and I did uh, I did mention to the folks uh, your background, a little bit about your background. So welcome to turning hard times into good times. Thank you, Jay. Well, really a pleasure to have you here from San Francisco. You're a lucky guy, I think, living in San Francisco. I wished uh, I would trade San Francisco for New York. I think and. Uh, probably at least the climate, that's for sure. I think we're but in a any, race with you to see which is going to go broke fastest. Yeah, I think you guys will beat us on that score, but but not by much. Um, I, we had some people on this show uh, not that long ago who actually talked about San Francisco and the finances in San Francisco, so we do know something about it. The whole idea is that you can, uh, I, I guess that you can have wealth and you, can, uh, you don't really have to work for it. You can just sort of imagine it and create it out of thin air. So, but let's, let's talk about gold mining today, Robert. This is what we wanted to talk to you about. This show, as you know, is so much about gold mining, about gold, about protecting wealth. Um, and we're constantly hearing uh, this notion, I mean, because people really look at gold like it's any other commodity. They, they think that, uh, you know, higher prices of gold are going to increase gold mining. That's happening. We know uh, I see a boom in the junior mining sector. I see companies going out, spending money, uh, putting holes in the ground, uh, discovering deposits. We're seeing rising gold mining profits are occurring now. Uh, certainly, this is what I call the uh, buying opportunity of a lifetime, the bull market of a, of a lifetime for gold mining stocks. So, you know, normally you would think that with rising supply, you would have a declining price. But you wrote an article called Mining Doesn't Matter in which you claim that gold mining has little impact, if any, on the gold price. Well, what, what motivated you to write that article? Well, Jay, as you were just saying, anywhere you look around in the media, people are aware that mine output is increasing. I read tons of these reports from analysts, people at banks, things in the media about gold. I would say 90% of the time, if there's a 50-page report <laughs> about gold, that 40 pages of it is going to be about gold mining, and then they give their forecast. Anyone, all these analysts you hear, Jeffrey Nadler, uh, Christian, anyone who writes about this does quantitative studies of mine supply, and they base that on their forecast. So uh, the reason for writing about this is I know that this is the wrong way to look at it, and I wanted to help people understand how it really works. Well, why is it the wrong way for looking at it? I mean, it certainly would. It certainly seems to be logical. Uh, if you have rising supplies, normally all other things being equal, you'd expect the price to decline. Wouldn't that hold true for gold as well? Uh, certainly, that is true. But uh, the the there are two ways of looking, or there there are two different kinds of markets. There's commodities and there are assets. 
I'm going to define these in an idealized way. Nothing really is perfect, but for the purpose of discussion, a commodity is something where there are no accumulated stockpiles of it. So in the case of a commodity, whatever gets produced also gets sold, it gets purchased, and it gets consumed. And by consumed, I mean it's destroyed. It's transformed into a form where it is taken off the market permanently. An example of that would be gasoline or any agriculture, something you eat. You buy it and you destroy it. So for a commodity, the supply and the demand have to be very tightly balanced. And if one of them changes, the other one has to change. And the way that is accomplished in a market economy is through price. If you have more supply, the price has to go down. The other type of market is what I'm going to call an asset market. And let's say for the moment, an asset market in an idealized way is a market in which there's a certain stockpile of the asset which doesn't change. In an asset market, you can't really look at quantity supplied and quantity demanded because the quantity is the same. In an asset market, the quantity of existing stockpiles is traded around among different people. So gold is an asset. Now, the gold supply does grow a little bit each year. It's between 1% or 2%. But the market is dominated by trade among the existing stockpiles of gold, and that's how the price is formed. All right. So we've had. Uh, so basically, what you're saying is that the gold that's been mined going back maybe thousands of years is still in a stockpile somewhere. That's or, right. Or around There's the world. about five billion ounces of gold above ground, according to some estimates, and the mine supply is somewhere in the one to two percent of that amount each year. So gold is not an annual market, then it's, it's more like a financial asset, as you're saying. There were, were existing uh, holdings uh, that trade, essentially. So, what, 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 so, what, so what's driving the gold price? Are we seeing a, a rise in the gold price from 250 bucks uh, back in 2002 to over 1400 You could ask the same question if you were looking at any other financial asset, like suppose there was a company you followed, Jay, that had 100 million shares outstanding, and that uh, company, for whatever reason, did not see the need to issue any more shares, and yet you see the price going up, then I don't think anyone who was looking at that would uh, say that the price is moving primarily because of uh, anything to do with the quantity of shares. Mm-hmm. It's that people are revaluing the existing um, the existing assets. So. What is happening with gold is people are revaluing mostly the existing gold in terms of fiat money, that they they are placing a higher valuation on it. And we don't know necessarily why that is exactly, but it's got to have something to do with the quantity of fiat money increasing or people anticipating that there will be further increases in the quantity of money. Mm -hmm. And that uh, quantity of money, I can make a pretty... um, pretty confident prediction that quantity of money is going to grow faster than the quantity of gold over coming years. Well, <laughs> that would seem to be a somewhat safe bet right now, Robert. I, I think that given uh, the mindset of uh, Mr. Bernanke and others, I, I don't think you'd find too many people who would be willing to take you up on that bet. Um, so it, so we're, we're seeing a rise, a very dramatic rise in the price of gold. 
it is definitely uh, spurring gold mining production. Um, you know, though, though, though those of us who follow this industry closely know that it is a very, very difficult thing to, uh, to put a new gold mine into production. It's not, I mean, it takes years and years to do it. So, but you're saying even if, um, even if there was a sudden surge in the gold supply, uh, it wouldn't necessarily have much to do with the gold price if the quantity of money was increasing at an equal, at an equal or greater pace, perhaps. I would say that, yes. Uh, part we, of, if you, I was just reading an article in the Canadian Globe and Mail the other day, and I've probably seen 100 articles like this. If you look at the annual figures, somebody was writing about how the gold supply annually had increased from 1,500 tons to, per year to 3,000 tons per year. And that looks like, wow, the supply of gold has doubled. Mm-hmm, you look mm-hmm. at it on an annual basis, but if you look at the total amount of gold out there, it's not really that impressive. It maybe is up uh, 10 or 20% over that period of time, which is probably the amount the money supply grows in a year. Mm-hmm. So definitely money supply is far outpacing the growth in gold supply. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, the last great uh, bull market in gold ended um, in 1980 when Mr. Volcker slammed on the brakes. Well, I don't know if that's the right terminology or not. Let's say he he reduced the growth in the money supply very dramatically, and we did see gold fall from 850 to, I don't know, 300, ultimately to 250 or so. Uh, I guess you don't think that prospect is very is very great. That's not likely to happen again anytime soon, in your view. I don't think there's a political will to do that. Volcker was willing to take a lot of heat, and Reagan was in his corner. Reagan understood what he was doing and said, look, people hang in there. Things are going to get better once we get this inflation under control. I see no real understanding of that among the political class in this country anymore and no political will to endure pain for any length of time in order to fix a problem. Well, would you, would you suggest that the pain might be greater this time around than it was in 1980 or the problems much bigger than they were in eighty, so that even if that even if that solution were proposed or if it were uh, implemented, that it would result in considerably more pain than we had in the nineteen eighty to eighty two time frame and I remember I was a fairly young man then, and I remember it was a very severe recession. it was at that point in time the deepest recession that we had since the Great Depression. but do you think it would be much worse if they tried to impose a policy like that now? I'm sure, Jay, you and your listeners have seen these charts of uh, debt-to-GDP ratios and debt compared to other things. All those charts have been in a pretty steep uptrend. There's a lot more leverage in the system now than there was back then. They figured out all kinds of creative ways to make things more highly leveraged, so there's a lot further to fall on the downside. So going back to this, uh, to this sort of the, the general uh, consensus or the approach that analysts take these days, essentially the, the analyst of, of the gold, of the gold price, you're saying basically they're really they're really focused on supply. Do they do they look at the gold? Do they look at the demand side at all? Do they look at the uh, the, the notion that because money supply is growing very dramatically that we're going to have this surge in demand for for gold as a store of value? The majority of analysts do not look at demand in that way. What they look at is they'll give a number for demand. They'll say this year demand was 
uh, for jewelry was this many ounces and investor demand was this many ounces. And the reason they do that is because they're trying to compare it to this supply number, which they got from mine supply, and maybe they throw in scrap. But mm-hmm. in my view, that number they come up with for demand is a meaningless number. And, and let me explain that. Suppose we were talking about shares of a stock. Uh, you had some stock, and you told me to go analyze it for you, and I came back to Jay. The demand for this stock last year was 10 million shares, and the demand for the stock next year will be 20 million shares. What would that mean when we're talking yeah. about something? You could look at the trading volume. Let's say that I went and looked up on my favorite financial website. There were 10 million shares traded. That tells you nothing about the price because, as you know, a stock could go up on increasing volume or it could go down on increasing volume or it could go sideways on decreasing volume. The trading volume tells you nothing about the direction of the price. Uh Now, we can say that if there were 2,500 tons mined, that there's going to be a buyer for every one of those tons or ounces. So the volume of gold in the market during any given year will be greater than the amount supplied. But that still really tells you nothing about where the price is going, because the real question is, what value will those ounces be traded at? And that depends on the valuation that the existing market places on the gold versus the dollars. It doesn't depend Mm -hmm. on any kind of number. You can't analyze gold quantitatively the way you would analyze uh, uh, a commodity where there's no stockpile. Mm Mm-hmm. So it really boils down to a confidence or not in the dollar. And if there's a loss of confidence in the dollar, we're certainly seeing this happen. People are trading in their, their paper money internationally as well as, uh, as well as people that are sort of understand what you're talking about to an extent. People understand that their paper money is losing value. They understand that Mr. Obama, uh, Mr. Bernanke uh, does these QE uh, maneuvers that he's basically debasing the currency. I mean, it's amazing to me when you think about uh, the Chinese have maybe amassed something like what two or two and a half or two point seven, whatever the number is, trillion dollars by working hard, sending us products uh, and and uh, accumulating foreign reserves. And Mr. Bernanke can, with a with a few keystrokes, basically create two trillion dollars out of nothing, uh, and and sort of uh, without doing anything. It's just it's just amazing. And I guess some people are starting to get it. So, but so to what extent though, and and to what extent do you think that? Uh, that some of the analysts might finally catch on to this. I mean, I, I think uh, you can go to a place like, like Sprott in Canada. Eric Sprott and his analysts certainly understand this. Uh, but, you know, John Nadler has been calling for lower gold prices every year for the last 10 years, and we've had nothing but higher gold prices every year. I mean, um, uh, you, you have to wonder why, you know, he, why he doesn't change his thinking. But anyway, let's, uh, you wrote an article, uh, The Myth of Gold of the Gold Supply Deficit. What was that about? That was about, uh, this is a related error in looking at the gold price based on the idea that there is a supply deficit. And this idea of the supply deficit prominently promoted by GATA. It's an Mm -hmm. organization I know you've had on your show, and I think they do a lot of great work. But in this particular case, they're wrong. So I'll explain why. Mm -hmm. Suppose we had a commodity like oil and a given country had a 30-day stockpile of oil 
let's say they doubled their consumption, so each day they're drawing down their stockpile by one day's worth, we can be sure that in 30 days that uh, process has to end. That is a reasonable definition of a deficit because you're exhausting a stockpile, and when that stockpile is down to zero, either they have to produce more or consume less, which is going to require a higher price. But in the case of an asset, uh, let's say the environmentalists win. No more gold mining. We just have to make do with the gold we have. Mm -hmm. So you notice that during a given year there was uh, 10 million tons traded. Well, does it make sense to call that a deficit? I would say no, because the gold is not destroyed. It's simply shifted around among different ownership. And there's no limit to how much volume of shifting around can occur. You never run out because you're not destroying it. You're moving it around. So the idea that there's a supply deficit because more gold is traded than is produced, that is an incorrect way of thinking about the gold market. All right. Um, you know, we, we have had uh, Bob Hoy on this show, and I know you're somewhat familiar with Bob Hoy's work. Bob has talked about these great credit um, contractions that occur, and he's noted that the real price of gold, that is the price of gold in terms of what you can trade gold for other commodities and other, other items, goes up during these major credit contractions. Bob Hoy points out that during these times, uh, it does serve to increase the gold mining profits, gold mining activity, gold mining production, and that it actually tends to then reliquify uh, the banking system with honest money. But I have an idea that you wouldn't necessarily buy that argument. Um, there is something really important about that, which is, as you led off, I wrote an article about how the gold um, mining does not really influence the gold price. But in the other direction, certainly the gold price will influence the gold mining because mm -hmm. the higher the price of gold, the more uh, sub-marginal deposits become economically mineable. So it totally makes sense what you're seeing in the market and what Bob Hoy describes, that as the price of gold goes up, you would see a boom in gold production and maybe the supply grows by 2% a year rather than 1% a year. Okay, well, we're getting this gold supply increase. That is true. And as you say, it's not very big relative to the total amount of stockpile of gold. But do you think there would be a problem with the, the markets absorbing this new supply? I mean, I, it doesn't seem like there would be given the kind of quantitative easing that's going on. But it would well, hard to make one it of the things you see in all these articles is people are saying the gold supply is 1,500 tons and half of that was jewelry and half of that was an investor and now it goes to 3,000 tons. Where's all the new demand going to come from? So I went and looked up some figures uh, for the LBMA, which is a bullion investor bar market in London. It's one of several bar markets in the world. Just based on LBMA volume, they absorb an entire year's mine supply in about 12 trading days. Wow. Now, there's other bar markets in other nations, <clears throat> and there are coin markets. So the, the volume of, pardon me, the volume That's of okay. these markets is so great that entire year's mine supply can be absorbed in just a few days. <clears throat> 
So Robert. no, I see no problem in the market absorbing the supply. Robert, I I, uh, I I can sympathize totally with you because I'm battling a cold and it's really a, a difficult <clears throat> difficult task. Um, if uh, we've got a couple of minutes left, so I hope hope you can hang in there with us. Um, if it's not mining, then how is the uh, if um, if it is not mining? So how is the gold price set then? I mean, we could just be a little bit more clear about about that then. If it's not the supply and the gold that's coming from the mines, so what is really setting the gold price? It's the valuation that people who hold gold, at what valuation are they willing to sell? And the people who hold dollars, at what valuation are they willing to bid? And the market brings that all into a balance where you have a price in the same way that it does for stocks or land or any other asset. Okay, so how can we... How can we forecast the price then? Are we looking at increases in money supply? Is that what we have to look at? And not only the U.S. dollar, but currencies around the world? I think it's a bit of a tough asset to forecast because unlike stocks, it doesn't have a net asset value and uh, it doesn't have a, a dividend. It's something that people value in order to hold it. And it's a little bit hard to get your head around that quantitatively um, certainly, it's got to have something to do with money supply growth, but I think anyone who has a quantitative model, they're giving you a very precise forecast that's probably baloney. Mm-hmm. And, and baloney, why? Because you can't predict human behavior or what? We, we can't. Uh, in the case of, um, let's say, a stock that you analyze, and it's, you can get your head around the net asset value because you're looking at what their assets would trade at in an external market. And you can make the argument that a stock should eventually trade at its net asset value. But gold, you can't really decompose it any further. It just comes down to the valuation that people place on it. Mm-hmm. And I, you can't have a quantitative model that will tell you that to any real precise degree. Well, uh, we're just about out of time here, Robert. We've got 30 seconds left, but let me just ask you, all that said, are you bullish or bearish on gold at this point in time? I'm bullish. Why? Uh, I can't quantify it, but I gave you my very confident forecast that money supply growth will be faster than gold supply growth, and I'm uh, expecting that whatever imprecision there is in that model that I can get the direction right, which is up. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. It certainly certainly says, does seem to be almost as sure as day following night these days, the way the, the mindset is in terms of the, uh, the Keynesian economic models upon which all our policymakers are operating. Well, thank you very much, Robert uh, Blumen, for being with us. We hope to have you on again for some of your Austrian economic insights. Folks, don't go away. Coming right up is John Mark Stoudy. He's the president and CEO of Riverside Resources, one of my favorite companies, a company that I do have in my newsletter. We're going to be talking to John Mark Stoudy in just a couple of minutes to find out what he's doing to build shareholder wealth for Riverside Resources. Don't go away. We'll be right back. community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 